again, recognize that God doesn't judge by a truly human perspective. God has his own way of judging. And quality of love is more important to God than a whole lifetime of evil deeds. Not only do you have to ask for forgiveness to, to be receptive of the mercy of Christ, but you have to be honest in asking for forgiveness. Because our liturgical year does not start on January 1st. It starts on the first Sunday of Advent. Just at a time when we are beginning as Christians, and as Catholics especially, to really dig in and celebrate the full wonder of the Christmas season, the world is bored to death by it, you know. Or the standard from which everything else comes from, the order. So the ordinary time is the standard of grace that we are supposed to be involved in during much, most of the year. And these other things are what we would call extraordinary. So if you have the Sunday and weekday lectionaries contain 13.5% of the Old Testament, not counting the Psalms, so he's removed the Psalms mm -hmm. out of there, you get 89.8% of the Gospels, and 71.5% of the entire New Testament. Here's your host. Good evening and welcome. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM, and I'll be your host for this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. Thanks for joining us. The church is in the 33rd week of Ordinary Time, and the posse will be previewing the Gospel of Luke for the Feast of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, also known as the Feast of Christ the King. It is also the 34th Sunday of Ordinary Time. After we finish our discussion of Luke's Gospel on this last week of the liturgical year of the church, we will talk about the church calendar and how it affects our worship. Uh, I'd like to introduce the posse here around the table. Father James, welcome. Good evening, everyone. Father Mike. Hello. Good to see you. Father Marty. Good evening, everybody. And Father Dennis. Hello, everyone. All right. We're all uh, we're all here ready and raring to go, aren't we? Oh, okay. Maybe not. We're almost, we're almost <laughs> at the finish line of the liturgical year, Tony. That's right. We're in the home stretch. <laughs> it's getting cold and they're saying it's going to snow, so I guess it is... What, the 10th of November? We're in November. So, yeah, it's about that time. All right, we'll move on to our news and notes uh, for tonight. Uh, Father Marty, you, uh, what do you have for news and notes tonight? Well, just a couple of things. We got God's Portion Day out at Notre Dame on Sunday, November the 20th, which is always a great day. Um, lots of prizes this year, lots of trips. Um, so it's going to be a great day, and the cause is great. So I encourage anyone who can to come out to Notre Dame and and see us. And then, of course, you know, we've got Thanksgiving on the 24th, and there's two special Masses for Thanksgiving. We're going to have one on Thanksgiving Eve um, up at St. Mary's in Dodgeville, and 8 o'clock on Thanksgiving morning at St. Mary and Patrick. And both of those Masses, you'll get a, a loaf of bread to take home and share around your Thanksgiving table. You know the part I'm most looking forward to at God's Portion Day? What's that? It's just the fun and the camaraderie that everybody has. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see how much that Waterford Crystal years will go for. It will be interesting. Will it be more 
than my behind-the-scenes tour of St. John's Church and the Rectory and dinner with Father James here at this very table. Are you gonna? Are you gonna cook? You betcha. Oh. <laughs> you, you doubt me? What What are you gonna cook? What's the we're, menu? We're gonna do a nice chicken casserole, just like my mom always made at home. Get some baked potatoes, crescent rolls, a vegetable. We'll even have a dessert of a pie. Are they going to alert the emergency room? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you stop by, Father Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's a great day because people oh, come together, they, we laugh, you know, we talk, and it's just a neat day. I just got to remember, so I may or may not have gotten Bill Moppin. I may or may not have written his name down on a silent auction, you know, earlier this year. He told me he was going to get me back, so he told me, he goes, uh, just to keep your auction number, you know, kind of hidden from me. I got to tell you, <laughs> he might get bid on a few things for me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Speaking about Notre Dame, you got to get out and see. So the Blessed Virgin Mary in front of the high school has received a brand new case around her, and she looks phenomenal. Yes. I was going to ask about that because they've been working on her, right? Mm-hmm. Was it a was it a major undertaking or? So primarily they they kind of worked and kind of scrubbed her down a little bit, but primarily it was just more for the case to get a brand new case on there because the last case was kind of starting to get a little fogged over and kind of grimy. Yeah. Have a look because mm. some individuals in years ago had attempted to harm the Blessed Virgin Mary, so we had to protect her with a case. Mm-hmm. Which is a sad statement uh, on, the, on the world today, but anyway. All right. Um, anything else? That, that do news and notes? That does news and notes. All right. Very good. Father Mike, uh, are you going to get us started here with our opening prayer? I will be happy to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we go into the month of November, all the way halfway through it, give us the deep understanding that time is drawing to a close in our real life and in the life of the Spirit. Help us to realize as the church changes the calendar and goes into a new year that we must accompany the church and be open to the Spirit of God, which is always present for us. Give us the grace to recognize Christ Jesus as our King as we celebrate his special feast day on this last Sunday of the church year and help us always to be present to him in doing his will. We ask all of this through the powerful intercession of our Blessed Mother. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Mike. Tonight, the posse will discuss Luke's gospel for the Feast of Christ the King, and that's chapter 23, verses 35 through 43. And in this reading, as Jesus hangs on the cross, he assures the condemned thief that his humility will be rewarded. And Father Dennis, you have our reading tonight? Yes. The rulers sneered at Jesus and said, He saved the others. Let him save himself. If he is the chosen one, the Christ of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him there was an inscription that read, This is the king of the Jews. Now, one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, 
Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation. And indeed, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father Dennis. Well, we're, uh, we're getting down to the end of Luke's gospel here. Isn't there only one chapter left after this? Um, isn't this the gospel set right before Christ dies on the cross? I, I think before we get into that, I think we need to talk a little bit about the feast day itself. Because it is a relatively new um, feast in the church's calendar. It was established in uh, 1925 by Pope uh, Pius XI at the end of a um, jubilee year. Um, it was in the encyclical, and Father Mike, you're gonna have to help my Latin here. Quas primus. Quas primus. Quas primus. Um, hey, I got it right. And it's basically, it was in the context of the growing secularist nationalism that followed the fall of European kingdoms um, that after World War I. And so Pius XI said, you might have these earthly kings, but we're gonna point to a king of whose kingdom there shall be no end. That's right. Oh, okay. It was very controversial, too, because it was a direct threat to Mussolini at the time, who was pretty much, he wasn't officially the king of Italy, they had their own king, but he was in charge of everything, and uh, uh, he was uh, trying to assert the uh, superiority of the state over the church in his fascistic notions and so forth. Yeah, dictator in Italian, doesn't that mean king? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's interesting because, you know, at this time you had the rise of fascism, Nazism, communism, all these isms. And, you know, basically the Holy Father, Pope Pius XI said, uh, not so fast, my friends. Um, we point to one king, and that is Jesus Christ. And I found this too. I found this to be interesting. The first parish to be consecrated to our Lord Jesus Christ, the king was established in Cincinnati, Ohio hmm. in 1926. And I just want to read this paragraph just because I just thought it was neat. The 225 worshipers who attended our Lord Christ the King's first mass on December 5th, 1926, embodied the essence of what it means to be church. With neither bricks nor mortar to call their own, this gathering of believers placed their faith in providence and celebrated early liturgies in humble surroundings. There was no electricity for the first Eucharist, so the room was illuminated by headlights being from parked cars. Pastor Father Edward J. Quinn, a former World War I chaplain, used his army mask kit. <laughs> Why did he use his army mask kit? I'm guessing because it was a new parish, they didn't have anything, so I guess he used his army mask kit. Yeah. Hmm. Or was he trying to play with the, you know, the symbolism of, you know, governments can come and go, but ultimately 
Christ will be there forever. You know, the ultimate hiking. Yep. It was interesting too that the uh, it was established that the feast would be celebrated the last Sunday of October. Um, so, yeah. October, November, <laughs> but then in 1970 it got moved to the last Sunday of ordinary time. That's right. So I thought before we start talking about the gospel, that might be some good background for people to know. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Yes, I didn't realize that it was that new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is also a big feast at your home because in my parish. Is also Catholic in parish. Oh, okay. That is a big celebration. The church was under great persecution in Mexico at the same time. And the great Mexican martyr, Padre Pro, not Pio, but Padre Pro, was, uh, was executed by the, by the anti-clerical government. And his last words was, Viva Cristo Rey, which means long live Christ the King. So it's, uh, it was interesting that this was going on all over the world at the time. Mm. Yeah, the, the end of World War One was a bad time in history. Very difficult time. The crucifixion of Jesus is is featured in in this gospel. And and this is the gospel about the good thief. The gospel doesn't mention which thief is on the right or on the left. And I know it's mentioned in one of the gospels, and, and there's a significance to being at God's right hand or at God's left hand, isn't there? In the Gospel of Matthew, at the Last Judgment, he's going to come and separate as he would the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right, the goats on the left. So the good is usually on the right, the bad is usually on the left. Unless, I guess, you're sitting like James and John, and uh, as his mother wanted him, wanted his right one at his left. (laughs) (laughs) One out of two, amen. (laughs) True. But But the way that I look at this is that you know, think about what his, you know, we celebrate Christ the King. Mm-hmm. Think of what his throne is. It's a cross. His crown isn't made of gold and ruby and sapphire or whatever else. It's made of thorns. And what's the, um, you know, and I, and I always go to the verses before this because this is our King. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Mm-hmm. This day. You will be with me in paradise. That forgiveness that was offered. That's our king. And that's what it's all about. You got it. That's the king that's going to be forever. So the the thief who railed at Jesus um, doesn't seem sure if he is the Christ, but isn't he really just trying to save himself on the off chance that Jesus is the Christ? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's kind of winging it, <laughs> if you will. It, it doesn't sound like it turned out very well for him, though. So what can we learn from the other thief? I think humility, first of all. Uh, maybe not in the sense that we usually think of it, but humility in the sense of recognizing the truth as it is. Right away, he rebukes the, the, the thief who was uh, criticizing Christ. Uh, and he said, you and I deserve to be here because we have done criminal acts, but this man has done nothing wrong. He recognized the truth of Christ. He probably didn't realize completely who he was, but then he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he had some recognition of the the kingship of Christ even then. So uh, Bishop Sheen, if some of you out there remember him very well, great preacher of the 1930s and 40s and 50s, uh, he said that the good thief 
committed uh, uh, thievery right at the very end because he stole heaven as the last act of his life. In other words, he uh, you know he stole it right out of the, right out of the air, if you will, because he appealed to Christ for heaven at the very end. So I always like that. Yeah. Also, another good lesson is that uh, salvation can take place at any moment. It can be on the last day or at the last moment, or it can be at any time of one's life. So there is no set time of when someone can embrace faith and turn back to Jesus. At any moment when someone decides or listens to the voice of God in him or in her and comes back to, to, to God, that is your day of salvation. And and this is a this is a gospel reading that I go to quite a lot when I hear my wife and I have discussions about how it's unfair that the the good thief was accepted into heaven and was forgiven and gets the same reward as somebody who you know I've been good all my life and I've done God and I go to church and I tithe and I do all those things. I start to sound like a Pharisee, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, and they get into heaven and this good, the thief has been terrible and horrible and rotten all his life. And then at the last minute, he's humble enough to ask for forgiveness and he gets into heaven too. Um, and, and she says, that's not fair. That's not fair. From a, tip, a truly human perspective, it sounds like it isn't fair just by the standard that you laid out. But uh, we got to recognize that God doesn't judge by a truly human perspective. God has his own way of judging. And quality of love is more important to God than a whole lifetime of evil deeds. So that if we, we truly are repentant and we, are, we come from an atmosphere of true love, and if we're honest, and this is where I would second what Father Dennis said, if we're honest in our recognition of who we are in relationship to God and we're truly sorry for what we've done, especially out of love, you know, God's mercy pours out on us like you wouldn't believe. We, we, can't, we don't even have the slightest idea of how strong is the mercy and the love of God. But whether or not we are able to receive it depends upon whether or not we are able to love in an unselfish way. And, you know, I think... Many times if we live a life that's, that's completely abandoning God or, or making use of God in the wrong way, you know, we're not going to be capable of having that kind of love at the last few moments of our life. So it's a whole different ballgame. So we've we got to be so careful that we don't judge everything by our own standards because we're going to lose if we do that. It's interesting, too, because the church has given him a name. And has made him a saint. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Saint Dismas. Dismas. Yes, and it's um, his feast day is on March twenty fifth, which is also the Annunciation. Yeah. But but I found this interesting. I found this on the Notre Dame University website. So I have to get which Notre Dame? The one in uh, Indiana. The one that beat Clemson last week. The big one. Okay, <laughs> but but I, but I found this interesting. Like other personalities close to the story of Jesus, we know little about Dismas. The Christian community constructed a story to fill in this gap, including his name, which was adopted from the Greek word for sunset hmm. or death and began to be used in stories dating from the fourth century. And then I found this interesting. One legend says that Dismas and his fellow thief held up Joseph and Mary when they were fleeing to Egypt with the child Jesus. 
Dismas is said to have been moved to compassion and bribed his companion to let the Holy Family pass safely. Hmm. That's a legend. <laughs> but but the other thing, too, and, and Father Mike, you might be able to help me. Um, you know, the Basilica of St. Louis, I think maybe a little better than I do, but it's got all these mosaics mm-hmm. in it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And Dismas is part of the Last Judgment, isn't he? I think he is, yeah. I think he is. At the cathedral there, the Basilica yeah. in St. Louis. The other thing we learned from the good thief from Dismas is that you have to ask for forgiveness. Yes. That you you you, oh, you aren't just granted forgiveness. Because yeah. if he hadn't have asked for forgiveness, what would have happened? We probably never would have known anything about him. He would have been in the same category. We don't know the name of the of the thief on the other side. He's kind of lost in history from that one brief thing encounter that he had with Christ, which shows his own selfishness. Not only do you have to ask for forgiveness to to be receptive of the mercy of Christ, but you have to be honest in asking for forgiveness. You have to you have to be real. You have to be uh, open to the truth about yourself and about everything around you. And you have to do it from love, you know. It's interesting in regard to sin. This is, I know we're not talking about sin tonight so much, but um, the church teaches that there are normal ways of having sin forgiven, confession and reparation and all that kind of stuff, uh, absolution. But in case that isn't possible, the church always says that if sorrow is made out of a sincere love for God, sincere love for God, like Dismas had, you know, wanting to, to do the truth, that, that, that sin is forgiven through that love. And that's what we call a perfect act of contrition, being sorry for your sins because they have offended God, we should love above all things. I think we should repeat, we should preach that a little bit more now than we're doing and have people recognize that. And isn't that the, the fear of the Lord that they right. talk about? Absolutely. And we talked about it some time ago, you know, when we, when we dealt with that. So. Look at the language of this other criminal. He said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Mm-hmm. This statement has no humility in it. So you cannot get the, the mess of God without being humble. Interesting. The other story that I use when somebody is, is talking about the, it being unfair, that if somebody is repents at the end, um, is the workers in the vineyard mm-hmm. that they go in in the morning and work all day and get the same wage as the people that come in, in late in the afternoon and only work an hour. And again, the master says, did I not agree? Did you not agree to this? Mm-hmm. I have not wronged you. It, it's interesting that all of the things you were talking about, about being humble and doing it for love. Uh, Very important. You guys are all, well, you're not probably working on it now, but eventually you'll be working on a homily for this gospel. What's your theme going to be for that gospel, for this gospel? You're just going to have to wait and find out, Tony. <laughs> there's no there's no peeking behind the curtain on this one. You're, you're, you're not going to, I thought this was such a good question, and you're going to... You're going to bail on me, aren't you? Without a doubt. Well, I'm saying, like, <laughs> you got to think about it, Tony. Like, we got to we gotta take time for homily prep. Like, yes, you know, we're, what, a week and a half or so mm-hmm. out? But there's, you know, like, Father Mark's got a daily mass tomorrow he needs to prepare a homily for. I've got a funeral on Saturday I need to prepare a homily for. It's Yeah, it's great to be able to work down the road and look and kind of find your theme. But you also need to realize, like, where's the community at in a week and a half? 
what has changed from today when we're recording this until that day. So that way your homily can best fit in the needs of the community to fulfill you know, their spiritual needs, you know, to help lead them closer to Christ. You know, maybe something comes up in the news that we don't know about. Yeah, it's great having this train of thought, but ultimately on Thursday of that week or Friday, you might have to go back to the, the drawing board and go, wow, I gotta, I gotta tweak this homily because of this major event or this, you know, something happened in our community. So a lot of it, yeah, you might have a, you might have a initial kind of thoughts. So it's way too far in the future to even think about that now. Uh, and I don't know, I can't speak for the other three guys here at the table, but, you know, I really haven't thought about Christ the King Sunday yet. And the first time that I will really think about it is before bed um, on Sunday night after the 33rd Sunday is done. Yeah. <laughs> like for me, typically, I don't start homily prep until that Monday. So to be going through, reading it, kind of sitting with it, taking it to a holy hour, kind of seeing like, all right, what is it that's kind of jumping out for me? And then begin to kind of build those puzzle pieces Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and getting it kind of tidied up and ready to rock and roll. And I'll give you a great example of that, Tony, because, you know, I'll take us back to the week of September 11th of 2000 or 2001. You know, the gospel for that Sunday after 9-11 was Luke's parables on the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, forgiveness. I don't think the people were ready to hear a homily on forgiveness yet. The, the emotion mm -hmm. was still too raw, but how do you bring that into the people's experience for that? Because you don't want to give a homily that people can't see it in their own little daily life. Like, you don't want to have something where you give them a homily that's 30,000 feet in the air, and they look at it and go, well, thanks, Father, but there's really, you know, do something for me in my current state of life or my current situation in life. One of the, the nice advantages of being the old man at the table is that you, uh, uh, when you think back in answer to this question, you think, well, what did I say last year? Or what did I say 52 years ago on this day? Um, and you have a, a great story. If you've kept your records and kept your homilies, which I have never done, but you have it up in your head, someplace spinning around there, you can draw on that resource. But a lot, I agree a lot with Father James here. You want to keep fresh and you want to keep able to address the needs of the community that you're serving. So you just don't want to drag out an old homily and give that, you know. But sometimes there's a lot of value in saying anew things that maybe you said 10 or 15 years ago. It never occurred to me that the circumstances in the country, in the town, could change at the last minute mm -hmm. and alter the whole presentation or the whole... Well, and I'll give you another example on that, too. This is the second time this year we've heard this gospel. You know, we heard it back on... What are we calling it now? Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday, Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. the Lord's Passion Sunday. I don't know. But, you know, we heard it, but it's a different context mm -hmm. going into Holy Week than it is with the solemnity of Christ the King. All right. Father Phillips, I do have to ask one question. So, yes. you, know, you don't print out your homilies or anything, but do you think if you were to print out your homilies from the homilies you've given... How many semi-trucks do you think it would take? Because <laughs> you've, given, you've given some long ones before. Well, I would probably destroy those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember a communal penance when Father Rudy brought out your printed homily. Okay. Go ahead and tell the story. It's a great story. So, well, it was kind of sad because, well, no, it is because Father Mike was with his mom who was dying at the time. Yeah, she was. And so we had communal penance um, at St. Wentz on the Tuesday of Holy Week. And so 
Father Mike was with his family and um, so Father Rudy did the service and he comes out and he takes a big piece of paper and he does this on the uh, on the ambo, the podium. It says, this was Father Mike's homily for tonight. I will be a lot shorter than this. <laughs> it's a true story. I wasn't even there to defend myself. <laughs> it's a true story, isn't it? Okay. I was there hearing confessions. They were happy when I came back. <laughs> all righty well that wraps up our discussion on sunday's gospel uh if you're just joining us we're talking with father dennis father marty father mike and father james and getting their perspective on uh, this week's uh, upcoming gospel thanks for tuning in we're happy you made the effort to find us and listen whether on the radio live stream website or on the podcast i do have to feel feel sorry for those people that listen you know, with headphones on, and then you heard that big thump, thump of your book. Well, my my hope here is that uh, when Tony's doing the editing, that can be maybe toned down, toned down. You know that, or that's going to be the promo. Thump. <laughs> this show just went thump, <laughs> or it might wake me up. <laughs> okay, now it's time to launch into the second half of our show. And, and we're going to be talking about the church calendar. I know, I know. How boring is that, right? Well, like most things in the Catholic Church, it's actually a lot more involved than you might think. Well, let's, let's talk first about how you talk about the years in the church. I found it as the liturgical calendar for the Diocese of the United States of America. You refer to the years as liturgical year A, liturgical year B, liturgical year C. Is that correct? I go shorthand. I'm a shorthand kind of guy as an accountant. I go year A, year B, year C. But then there's also year one and year two for daily mass readings. Yeah, that one threw me for a loop because I went to the USCCB website and uh, I discovered that you can actually download a digital copy of the liturgical calendar and print it out if you're so inclined. And when I got to looking through it, the first page comes up and says, for January, year A, week I. And I went, week I? What's week I? <laughs> well, I just figured that it was, since it was ABC, that it was I. And I wondered what happened to D-E-F-G-H. But <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a strong I and a weak I? Or? Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you got to read with your weak eye this year. <laughs> Well, it, it turns out that it's Roman numerals one and two. I, I learned when I and, got and the here. good way and to to remember this. So we're going into year twenty twenty three, and so in the odd years, it's always going to be year one. In the even years, it's going to be year two, except for that first month, because our liturgical year does not start on January first. That's right. It starts on the first Sunday of Advent. So I remember a time when I was vocation director, I was filling in at a Holy Family in Davenport. I started my homily with, Happy New Year, everybody. And about 200 people in the church looked at me like, this guy's lost it. <laughs> <laughs> or he never had it. One of the two. <laughs> the church cycle or whatever you want to call it is split, in, split into three different years, A, B, and C. And the, the church year then is split into six different seasons. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? 
That is correct. And I, and I have those as, I understand those are Advent, Christmas, Lent, the Triduum, Easter, and Ordinary Time. That is correct. Okay. So let's talk about each one of those just kind of briefly and go over. So what is Advent? It's a time of preparation, so we're able to celebrate the Nativity of the Lords. So usually there's, oftentimes can be a little disagreement between priests and understanding about Advent. So there's some priests that look at it as, as a time of you know, penance, a time of, you know, to prepare yourself that way. And, and others will look at it more as just a time to kind of tidy things up and get ready, ready for you know, Jesus to come for his birth. Kind of get things in order. Mm-hmm. I think, too, you know, we, we kind of, for priests, I think, Advent for me is the toughest season. Because when we're in Advent, where's the world at? Sure. Yeah, Christmas. Christmas already. And when we're ready to celebrate the season of Christmas, where's the world at? They're tired of it. <laughs> and, and the other thing, too, that I think we miss a little bit about Advent, it, it, there's a twofold character. You know, we know the character of, of getting prepared to celebrate, you know, the birth of Christ and in Bethlehem. But it's also to prepare ourselves to tidy up. Oh, yeah. You know, our, our lives through penance, you know, um, for that coming at the end of time and at the end of our lives. And then uh, Christmas is the next season. And, and how long is the Christmas season? Officially, it starts uh, with first Vespers on Christmas Eve, December 24th. And then it goes to the baptism of the Lord, which is well into January. So uh, it used to go to uh, the Feast of the Epiphany, which is January 6th. But again, there are some changes that have been made. And now we celebrate Epiphany on the Sunday closest to January 6th. So it isn't quite the 12 days of Christmas as the song brings out. But uh, it'll be be January 8th of 2023 will be the end of Christmas. January 8th. Okay, January 8th. So, And to confuse things even more, the Eastern Church celebrates it differently. They celebrate Christmas... uh, uh, is it the same day, the 25th of December? Christmas, I think they celebrate Christmas the same day, but they don't give it the same dignity that they give uh, some of the other Christmas feasts. Uh, the Feast of the Three Kings is more important than the Feast of the Birth of Christ, uh, liturgically in the Eastern churches. So, But that really doesn't concern us here in the West because we don't have that many Eastern churches. I've always felt bad because going on what Father Marty just said, just at a time when we are beginning as Christians and as Catholics especially to really dig in and celebrate the full wonder of the Christmas season, the world is bored to death by it, you know. And so, you know, I always say, you know, if we could only celebrate the way the church does and really have all our Christmas parties, not during December, but during January, we would have, we'd have a happier, less stress-filled time of it. Uh, and if we celebrate the traditional 12 days of Christmas, I think that would be a much more joyful and a much more uh, liturgical and theological way of celebrating the birth of Christ. Yeah. After Brett was born, he was born on the 17th of December. So every year we always waited. We didn't do anything with Christmas until after his birthday on the 18th. So a week before Christmas, before we put up any decorations or trees or anything. And that always led to a rather heated discussion with my wife and I about when you take down the Christmas tree, because we put it up late. So... I always wanted to take it down at Epiphany, but she tended to kind of want yeah. to go a little longer than we that. We would, when I, in my family, when I was a young kid, we didn't put anything up until December 24th. So, but I always wondered, my dad worked for the post office, and of course the Christmas season, pre-Christmas for the post office is the busiest mm-hmm. time of the year. 
And dad was always exhausted because he had that busy priest Christmas time at work. And then he'd have to stay up until four o'clock in the morning on Christmas <laughs> day, putting up the tree, putting up the crib, decorating the house and all that kind of stuff. And he was always in a grumpy mood on Christmas. <laughs> I just wondered why he didn't like Christmas. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting too, like in the city of Rome, you know, they celebrate Epiphany on January 6th. It's not moved to the Sunday. Yeah. Oh, really? Unless it falls on a Sunday. Yeah. Because, you know, in our liturgical books, and I never, it took me a while to figure this out, um, you know, there's a second Sunday after Christmas prayers in there and, and readings, mm -hmm. but I've never used them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. mm. Okay, so then the next one, the third one is Lent. And Lent is six weeks of penance before Easter, correct? Mm -hmm. You betcha. Mm -hmm. Ash Wednesday to Holy Thursday. The morning of Holy Thursday. Morning of Holy Thursday. Mm -hmm. Then Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, uh, and the beginning of Easter. That's the sacred triduum. That's the next season. It's only three days long. It's a short that's one. That's, yeah, that's why they call it triduum. Triduum deal is three days. But it's, <coughs> but it's an important one. The most important season of the year, yes. And, and here, I want to read out, and I'm surprised the Catechism has something on this, but it does. <laughs> You're surprised. I am. <laughs> I didn't think it would cover the liturgical year, but it does. Why wouldn't it? Well, I don't know. But I'm going to read two paragraphs just because I just think this is just really neat. Therefore, Easter is not simply one feast among others, but the feast of feasts, the solemnity of solemnities. Just as the Eucharist is the sacrament of sacraments. St. Athanasius calls Easter the Great Sunday, and the Easter, Eastern churches call Holy Week the Great Week. The mystery of the resurrection which Christ crushed death permeates with its powerful energy our old time until all is subjected to him. And then I found this interesting since we're going into Easter here. At the Council of Nicaea in 325, all the churches agreed that Easter, the Christian Passover, should be celebrated on the Sunday following the first full moon after the vernal equinox. Because of different methods of calculating the 14th day of the month of Nisan, the date of Easter in the Western Eastern churches is not always the same. Ding, ding, ding. For this reason, the churches are currently seeking an agreement in order once again to celebrate the day of the Lord's resurrection on a common date. Very good. Okay, so now let's go on to Easter. And the Easter season is 50 days mm -hmm. of joyful celebration of the Lord's resurrection, correct? You best. And is there a significance to 50? Pentecost. Pentecost. That's what the word pentecost means, 50. Okay. Bible, yeah. And it takes that extra, it's, it's we, we think Easter is a little bit more important than Lent, so it takes it to 40 plus 10. 40 plus 10. Okay. Or you look at it, 7, the number of perfection, yep. times itself, plus 1, to make it super special. Amen. <laughs> For those math majors. <laughs> Ooh, math. The final celebration is ordinary time. And ordinary time is actually broke up into two different sessions. And the first session is four to eight weeks after Christmas. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just... The ordinary time after Christmas, or it's just referred to ordinary time? It used to be called the days after Epiphany. So it started then, when Epiphany ended the Christmas season, mm -hmm. and then the days after Epiphany to Ash Wednesday were considered days after Epiphany. First now it's called ordinary time. And the second session, if you want to call it that, second phase, would be the days after Easter, 
which used to be called the days after Pentecost. So Pentecost was the beginning of that time period from, from uh, that, the long period of time that goes all the way into uh, uh, Advent. Yeah, that's the, that's the six months after Easter yeah, that finishes up with Feast of Christ yeah. the King, which is where we are now. Where we are now. Right. Yeah. But naming it ordinary time has always been a source of dispute among liturgists and people who do these things, you know, because it seems like it's such a, a the church is on such a high with all these other names that it gives its, its, its phases of the liturgical year. And then they come down to ordinary time. It's so ordinary. But the church is... The churches look at the word ordinary. We call our bishop the ordinary of the diocese. He's the he's the normal one. He's the the guy at the top of the top of the pyramid, if you want to use that, or the top of the ladder, or the standard from which everything else comes from. The order. So the ordinary time is the standard of grace that we are supposed to be involved in during much most of the year. And these other things are what we would call extraordinary. So what we try to do is bring the sacred into our time. You know, we have these six seasons where we try to bring sacred in. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the neat things I think about ordinary time is that we celebrate the Feast of Mary, the saints, martyrs, you know, the events of Christ's life. So we try to take the whole year and, and make it holy. Right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It should be ordinary for Christians. To be ordinary for them. To be holy. It's an ordinary thing. And if you make it, it's extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do with you? I don't know. <laughs> uh, we'll keep you, Father Mike. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, okay, so years, year A, year B, and year C, uh, those years all feature different Gospels, correct? Correct. Okay, and... Right now, we are in year C, C, and next year, we are going to year A. Okay, so uh, this year has featured, C year has featured Luke, mm-hmm. and the next year, A year is going to feature Matthew, Matthew, and then the B year is Mark. Mark. Okay, so why does the church do it this way? Some way to organize it, or is there a religious significance to it? Or this is my guess. Um, and if they taught it in seminary, I must have slept that day or something. I don't know. But <laughs> uh, you came home for whiteies. Yes. Um, it, it could be, you know, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the Synoptic Gospels. Okay. And so I, I'm guessing they divided into three because of that. Now, what was interesting was I was talking to Father Doyle earlier today. And before the reforms of Vatican II, I'm not sure there was a three-year lectionary. No, there wasn't. It was, it was just the kind of the same year after year it after was, year. It was. And so um, I think it was the church's way to give us a little bit more variety that we would hear from all of the Gospels. Right. Because um, in year A, for three Sundays of Lent, we, we go from Matthew to John. In year B, we go from Mark to John. And then C is all Luke. But, you know, um, like in the Triduum, uh, the Easter season, it is primarily from the Gospel of John. And then, of course, the Bread of Life discourse in year B um, Mm -hmm. in Mark's Gospel. And so um, in those three years, you don't read all of the entirety of the Gospels, but you get a pretty good gist of, of what each one is trying to do. Yeah, Mark, he's like the Reader's Digest version. He keeps it short, sweet. Mm-hmm. He moves Jesus along 
Jesus isn't down in Mark. He's moving. There's like six healings in the first like 20 verses. <laughs> well, that, like, it's only one year of public ministry in Mark. Yep. We got to get you to Jerusalem, Jesus. Let's go. <laughs> It's only 16 chapters. Oh. There's not, not a lot of uh, finding tax collectors and trees and that kind of stuff in Mark. Huh? No. Yeah, that is why, for example, when you attend like morning masses and the Sunday masses, yeah, there is a big, a big chance of getting enough portion of the Bible through the daily readings and the Sunday readings. Yeah, the, uh, the other thing I've noticed since I've been paying attention to weekly Mass more, I think it was Tuesday's Gospel, we had heard on Sunday four weeks ago, five mm-hmm. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Does, it, does it repeat like that a yeah. lot? In, in, the, in the weekday readings, so there's 34 weeks of ordinary time. i got to remember this. The first 10 weeks of ordinary time come from Mark's Gospel. Okay. The next set comes from Matthew, and that's 12 weeks. And then the last 12 are Luke. So 12, 12, and 10, 34. Every so often, you will get it overlapping. <laughs> so there's been a couple times on the weekday is, do you remember the homily I gave on Sunday? Yeah, good. That's what it is today, too. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, you're not required to preach a homily on a daily mass. No, you're not. If it's a normal, ordinary day. Yeah. Well, uh, Father Dennis just mentioned about reading the Bible, um, and everybody knocks the Catholics because we don't read the Bible. When um, actually, through the course of the three years uh, during Mass, we actually read the entire Bible, don't we? Is that true? Mm, that's something we as Catholics want to pat ourselves on the back, but we don't read the whole Bible in three years. Mm-hmm. Because not not my, page by page, no. no my, but my, this, my, we get the essential parts of the whole scripture. My bragging point is dashed. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no, I, mean, well, I think the point is is that, because I ask this of, of groups, well, when's the last time you read the Bible? Oh, Father, it's been years. Yeah. Really? You went to Mass on Sunday, didn't you? Yeah. Well, we heard from the Bible. You read the Bible on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... You'll get you'll get a large percentage of it if you went to mass every day for three years. So, so according to a Jesuit, so Father Felix Just from the Jesuits, I like that. So, if you have the Sunday and weekday lectionaries contain thirteen and a half percent of the Old Testament, not counting the Psalms, so he's removed the Psalms mm-hmm. out of there. You get eighty nine point eight percent of the Gospels and seventy one and a half percent of the entire New Testament. Hmm. Ooh, it's a decent amount. Hmm. I'd say 90% and 70% is pretty close to reading the whole thing. Hmm. Yeah, that, yeah. That's 90% of the gospel. Yeah. Because the, the interesting... Old Testament, we don't exactly read very well. <laughs> <laughs> because the interesting part is, on, on Sundays, the first reading usually goes with the theme that's introduced in the gospel. Right. You know, it's not like we're going to start Isaiah chapter 1, then the next week chapter 2, and then 3. You know, it's going to bebop around. Um, on the weekday, you get a little bit more of a continuous reading, you know, through that. But the second reading is usually from Paul's letters, but it bebops around too, so mm-hmm. or skip sections. And, and if you want to read the whole Bible in a year, there's a podcast for that by Father Mike Schmitz. There is an app for that. Who was going to start next year? The Catechism. Hey, look at that! The Catechism in a year is going to start in January. Yep. I think another thing that's important to bring out in the difference between. 
Protestant and Catholic approaches to the scripture is that you don't read the Bible, and I think most non-Catholics would agree with this, you don't read the Bible like you'd read a novel or like you'd read a history book. You don't start on page one, chapter one, and go just go page after page after page. Um, you, you go by, by uh, various segments, various uh, uh, different kinds of phases and so forth. And so when somebody comes and says, what should I, where should I start reading the Bible? A lot of times we will send them to the New Testament right away, not rather than start off with Genesis 1. Uh, and then uh, if they have got a good reference Bible, this will bring them back to the, to the Old Testament as well. And then the other point is, and I think this is true for us priests as well, is that uh, the, first, the first parts of the scriptures that we inherited were not written down. They were spoken because there was an oral, what they call an oral tradition. It was tradition. It was what was by father to son and what was given in that form. Just much in the same way that you would, you would teach your family history to your children and so forth. Then later on, they put it all together. And it was put together over 1,500 years by six or 700 people, all under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the other thing that I emphasize so much, maybe I shouldn't, but I'm an old-fashioned Catholic, that what gave, it, what gave the Bible the authority to be the Word of God? Who says that this is really, truly God's Word? It was the Catholic Church. And uh, those are fighting words among certain people. But it was the church that finally, through its councils, uh, that said these are the authentic uh, word of God. This is the authentic word of God. It's these books and no other books. And uh, we're still fighting over some of the books. But well, yeah, wasn't um, St. Jerome charged by the Council of Nicaea to put the Bible together? Or was it, did, that, did he do that before the Council of Nicaea? No, Jerome was a 5th century saint. Nicaea was in the 4th century. Right. So but, it could have been another council, maybe. But Jerome, Jerome was the one who put the Bible together, wasn't he? That he translated it, it from translated the, it and gathered yeah, it into Latin. Latin, yeah. Because yeah. technically, it wasn't officially finalized, shut till Council of Trent, right? Yeah. When they officially said, "No moss, there's no more changes." Like it is done after the Protestant mm -hmm. Reformation. So we talked a little bit about uh, Easter and why Easter moves around. And can you can you go through that again, Father James? How how Easter is calculated? You betcha. So you got to look at you're looking at you know the the spring equinox. So you got you find the spring equinox on your calendar. You got it. So which is typically somewhere around probably March twenty first or so. And then you got to go to when the first full moon is. It's going to be the Sunday after that. So, so if you're lucky, it could all land exactly on the spring equinox potentially not very likely but it could mm -hmm. yeah because my birthday is the 26th of march and i remember when i was a kid every i think it would happen twice <laughs> that my birthday would fall on easter mm -hmm. which was kind of sucked because you got chocolate and easter eggs for your birthday but <laughs> <laughs> easter easter will always fall somewhere between march 22nd and april 25th can't be the 26th can't be the 21st and the earliest Ash Wednesday can be is February 4th. But that would be a very incredible year because the next time that will happen is in the year 2096. <laughs> you know, the worst one is when it falls on Valentine's Day. And that is in oh. two years or next year. Because usually what happens is you might get some of the guys that celebrate thinking, hey, there's one less time I got to 
go out to eat, but then it's like, ooh. Yep. Usually the wives aren't very happy when Ash Wednesday falls on Valentine's Day. <laughs> it just happened a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, because a few years ago it was interesting because Ash Wednesday fell on Valentine's Day and Easter fell on April Fool's Day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, well, I just wanted to, I, I came with a prop tonight. I downloaded the liturgical calendar from the usccb.org website. Uh, there's actually an electronic download on that site, and you can go and uh, download it and have a, either keep a copy on your computer or print a copy out so you can refer to it in case you're interested in that. And uh, I'll post a link on our website for that as well. Is there uh, anything we missed or anything you want to throw in or add? Did we pretty much cover the church calendar? I think so, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say we pretty much hit quite Maybe a bit. Maybe the only other thing we could add is there are different colors for the different seasons of the church year. Okay. Like uh, for Advent, it's purple. Mm, well, it's a certain shade of purple. Have they changed it? It's like the bluish purple. Bluish purple, okay. It's a different purple than Lent, okay? Correct. Lent is a, a deep, deep purple. Which like is a reddish purple. Penitential. Pen mm -hmm. uh, like Father Marty was saying earlier, or maybe it was Father James, uh, there's a, something of a difference of opinion among the priests as to how we celebrate Advent. Some people look at it as an anticipation for Christmas. Others look at it as a renunciation of sin. Uh, if you go into the readings of the first week of Advent, they're all about gloom and doom and reparation of sin and all that kind of stuff. But uh, so there's one way of looking at it as a reparation for sin committed. Another way is being excited about the coming of the Messiah. During Christmas, it's white or gold, and that celebrates the birth of the Messiah all the way up to Epiphany. Epiphany, it's white and gold, maybe gold more so because it's the color of kings. And then we go into ordinary time. And that's green, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we go into green. And then uh, there's different shades of green, too, but I don't think there's any liturgical difference in the green. We just have different shades of green here at St. John. Now, don't be coming out in a fluorescent green. No, I won't come out. <laughs> but, of course, in the middle of all that, you know, of course, in the middle of the next season, you have Lent, and that's purple. But then you have St. Patrick's Day, which is always in Lent, March 17th. And so then you can wear green on St. Patrick's Day. No. You? Well, I do. Oh, jeez. You mean green vestments? Oh. oh. Heresy. My Heresy. Irish, my Irish ancestry demands that I wear green. Go ahead and write to Bishop Thomas Zinculus, 780 West Central Park Avenue, Goodbye, folks. Uh, <laughs> but then after Lent, then we go into Easter and again. And we have uh, a white or gold. White and gold can be substituted. Used to be during a, during a funeral, it had to be black. We have black vestments. The only time now that black vestments are allowed is Good Friday, um, as far as I know. But uh, normally it's purple. Red on Good Friday. Red on Good Friday. I'm sorry. Black Friday. What? Purple all and souls. Lens, all souls. And all souls day as well. So. Um, well, you, you got to remember the rose vestments. I don't care to. <laughs> All right. Hey. Rose vestments are, are a combination of purple and white. And this is close. If you've ever gone to college and done your your uh, laundry the first time by yourself <laughs> and you put colors in with white, you come out with, with pink. And uh, there's a small distinction between pink and rose in a lot of people's minds. And I have a, a version 
do rose vestments, not if they're truly rose, but if they come out pink, I think it's, uh, I get embarrassed about a grown man appearing in public in all pink, so I have a little problem with hey, it. Hey, but if my hey. brother priests want to wear pink, let them wear Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't paint from the dead, okay? Oh. You won't wear a t-shirt supporting those who are you know, going through <laughs> breast cancer, breast cancer, cancer like in general. Well, now, maybe in view of that. Maybe... <laughs> <laughs> hey, hang on, do you hear that sound? <laughs> beep, beep, beep. It's a sound of Phillips backing up. I'm backing up. I'm taking it. All right. That's where we're at. That'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to bring her to a close here. We're running out of time. Father Marty, do you have a closing prayer for I us do. tonight? So let us pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God of all time, soon we will begin a new church year. It will be a year full of grace and celebration. Help us to celebrate it well in our prayer and in our living through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Marty. You're very welcome. Well, that does it for this week's show. Another gem safely stored on the SD card. <laughs> I did hit the record button, didn't I? Only that, one way to find out. That, so. that would be bad, wouldn't it? Oh, all of that work. Pastor's perspective for next week will find us celebrating and waiting for the ball to drop in Times Square. Oh, well, wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being told a new liturgical year starts with the first Sunday of Advent not a new calendar year. Uh, we will switch to Matthew's Gospel and start a four-part series on what the four Sundays of Advent mean as we prepare for the coming of our Savior. So until next week, reorient your life and believe in the Gospel, the good news of God's saving love. God has made the first move in saving us and bringing us to himself, but we have to play our part in salvation. If you're not actively practicing your Catholic faith, we invite you to join us for Mass. The beginning of the Advent season is the perfect time to focus on Christ in your life. I'd like to thank the priest tonight, Father Dennis. Thank you. Thank you so much. Father Marty. Thank you. Betcha. Father Mike. Thank, thank you. you, sir. Father Jay. Thank, thank you. you. Have a great week, everyone. Amen. I'd like to thank you all for sharing your insights into the litur liturgical year and how God's salvation history is organized and presented to us each year. I'd also like to thank our listeners for making the effort to tune us in. Please join us again next week when the posse gathers to share God's salvation story with us. In the meantime, mark your calendars with the weekend mass times and keep it right here on KCDM for more content you can trust. Thanks for tuning in and good night. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 